Welcome back to the Daily Tech Start, where I share my experience working at a tech startup and the lessons I learned along the way. I'm Tony, and this is episode 19. I thought I'd talk with you a little bit today about having an opinion, why it's scary, why I hold back sometimes, and also I thought I'd give you a little bit of a debrief around the Brexit debate. Um, why? Because um, on the 23rd of June, so this Saturday, um, we're estimating about 100,000, but now we're being told that close to a half a million, which I've yet to get the full stats on, um, were walking in the streets or marched in the streets of London um, to exit the Brexit deal. And I'll talk to you a little bit more about that. But let's kick off with having an opinion and how that can be scary. So this statement has stuck with me and stuck in my head, I'd say for the better part of this weekend, but also the better part of last week. Specifically, I think, because I recently decided to re-watch the three seasons of the TV series The Newsroom, which is written by Aaron Sorkin. Little stop point here. If you haven't watched The Newsroom, definitely watch it. I thought it was absolutely brilliant, especially seasons one and two. Um, but there you go. So I re-watched it. Rewatched all three seasons in a couple of weeks. Somewhat embarrassing. But in the very first episode, Will McAvoy, who is this fictional character, um, and who is described as a vanilla, middle-of-the-road, no-opinion news anchor whose popularity is a result of not bothering anyone, completely loses it on stage um, when he's asked a pretty benign question from a student in the audience. And the question is, what makes America the greatest country in the world? And you might have seen his answer on YouTube because it's a brilliantly written essay, written obviously by Aaron Sorkin. Um, and Will explains his sentiment with stats and with gusto, and he explained that there is no basis for that question, the question, what makes America the greatest country in the world? And that night, he ends up doing the news with conviction um, and opinions because he decided to do so. Uh, and that's in sort of inverted commas, that he decided to do so, which got me thinking about how and why we are so often scared of voiding our own opinions um, and just deciding to do so. First of all, for one, I always feel... I personally often feel uninformed on just about every single topic, even though I'm probably more informed than 80% of the population on a variety of topics because I decide to get informed and I love doing the research. Um, and there's probably another big percentage of those topics that I'm actually pretty good at, either because I work at it, either because I studied politics and international relations. That being said, even in those topics, I still feel like I don't have the right to talk about that specific topic as I might not know all the facts. So I'm always scared of not having all of the facts. Secondly, having an opinion means that you will disagree with someone and people will disagree with you and what you have to say, meaning that not everyone will like what you have to say. And ultimately, you're going to piss a few people off, especially if you stand by your convictions. I've always noticed that you can't put an opinion out there without ferociously standing behind it, else it's more or less just like dropping the mic and walking off or actually not really having, uh, you know, convictions um, in those specific opinions. But like my dad says, um, you don't get anywhere without pissing off a few people. Thirdly, having opinions means that you might voice them and over time you might actually change your mind, either because more information has come to light, because you've grown as a person and things in your life have made that your positioning on a specific topic has changed or changed dramatically. And I'd say that that's okay, but you can bet that people will point this out to you and it can definitely be uncomfortable. So you have to be able to think about why you change positions on certain topics, um, especially in today's world where just about everything is recorded and stored for the keeping. Fourthly, 
opinions and specifically of voicing them have consequences and that's what i was saying earlier on you can't just have an opinion drop the mic and leave you need to handle and you need to deal with the disagreements and with the amount of questionings that come with having a pretty strong opinion so i would say that opinions come with great responsibility and if you haven't yet but do check out episode 18 where I do a sort of a debrief of Sally Korchek's um, book, The Power of Women in the Workplace, which is absolutely fascinating. And one of the things that she talks about is just how isolating it can be to be the token woman or the token person of colour. And I have to say, I've often been the token woman, pro-European in a non-pro-European um, environment. I mean, for God's sake, I moved to the UK five years ago and we're in the middle of, oh, we have voted to actually leave the European Union. And I am a very pro-European person. I consider myself a European. I'm often the only woman um, in a lot of panels that I'm sat at because it's I'm in this sort of intersection of politics um, and technology, which is very male dominated, although that's changing a lot. So it's exhausting, it's isolating and it's very lonely. And you're always up against sort of the same arguments, which actually is good because it means you can prep for them. But so again, having those opinions can come with great responsibility. And I think I've shied away over the last two or three years to, to voice very strongly and very thoroughly my, my opinions just because I'm exhausted. Um, and oh, how lucky I am to be able to say that I'm exhausted to have my own opinions because I've been well, ed I've been able to have the education and to spend the time, you know, to, to be educated around a plethora of topics. But that aside, um, I have to say it feels so much better and it makes me feel way more alive as a human being to have opinions um, and rather than just sharing facts, because the opposite for me has been to move away from having strong opinions and strong beliefs backed by facts and rather just sharing factually what's happening. And so what that means is that I've often ended up in situations saying I don't have an opinion and oh, I'm not going to share my opinion, but the facts say blah, 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 which is not very exciting and doesn't lead to, to very enthusiastic conversations, to say the least. Um, and, and I have to say it's the same in this podcast. In the first, you know, 19 um, podcasts, let's maybe put this one aside, but for the first 18 podcasts, I have to say I've not shared a lot of my opinions. This is probably the first time that I've voiced so loudly that I'm such a pro-European. Um, although most people around me will know that. Um, and at, at work, I am generally the, the token pro-European, token woman. Token not being a bad um, a bad word in this case. Um, but I am often the only European in a room full of Americans. Um, and probably the, mo the, the only socialist in a room full of conservatives. Um, but here's the thing. I'm no journalist. Um, and I'm not, you know, planning on being anytime soon, but I do want to start getting increasingly comfortable voicing my opinions. And what I do promise you on this show is to, you know, to do the right level of research um, so that I am voicing my opinion with backing. But also I'm not going to voice too strongly my opinion because my opinion has and will change even more so, I think, over time um, as I grow and as I have different experiences in my life. And I surround myself, and this is a key picks. The key piece, sorry, is as I surround myself with people who are extremely diverse and so much more different than me, my opinions have waned and changed over time. So as I mentioned right at the beginning of the podcast, this Saturday on the 23rd of June, I marched and I marched to exit the Brexit and I wasn't alone. 100,000 or more of us marched this Saturday and the march was for a people's vote um, and it was held on the second anniversary of the Brexit referendum. That aside, I can't even believe that it's been two years um, since the Brexit referendum. But 
what most people were marching for they and calling for is they were calling for a vote on the final deal um, that is seeing the UK to leave the European Union. And I've never seen so many European flags flying as I did this Saturday. And I really couldn't help but wonder where they'd all been for over the past 45 years. Um, specifically, I've often said this, that one of the reasons that we're paying the price with Brexit is that we're paying the price for not talking about the European Union um, for the past 45 years. And I do think that the media has a huge, huge role to play in this, that the only times that the European Union came up or the benefits of the European Union was talking about Brussels, this sort of city that's far away that takes decisions on my own country. So we're paying the price and we're paying a pretty hefty price. Um, and most people that I spoke to on Saturday and I asked why they were marching mentioned that the lack of information or even the misinformation, there was a lot of lies spread throughout the, cam the campaign. So this is why people were marching. It's not that they want to repeal the decision, but they want to have a say on the final deal. Because when the referendum took place two years ago, we didn't even know what it meant. And we weren't, the people of the UK weren't told what that would mean for them in the day-to-day -day, the day -day life. There were many signs around their, you know, kids and their youth being stolen and jobs being taken away that were needed and that would be lost to Brexit. Um, recently, um, I think on Friday, we heard that the car giant BMW was following the plane maker Airbus in warnings about the consequences of Brexit uncertainty. The BMW UK boss um, said that clarity was needed by the end of summer. Um, BMW, you have to understand, employs around 8,000 people here in the UK. And earlier this year, Airbus, which employs 14,000 people in the UK, warned that it could leave if the UK exit, um, exited the single market and the customs union with no transition deal. There's a whole other piece of this, uh, which is what we're seeing around the tech startups. Um, a lot of tech startups are preferring Berlin and France over London um, to start their new businesses. And actually, amid the concerns that Brexit may hobble the, the, the UK's digital ambitions, France is gambling on this and it's gambling that it can knock Britain off its perk um, and, you know, and become the tech nation of Europe and become more prominent in this space. And they've done an enormous amount of work and Macron has made this a focal point of his campaign. Um, and his focus right now is to, to embrace the tech startup and to make it easier for young people um, starting a company in, in France. And as Politico points out, facing renewed competition, Britain... British polit politicians last summer really did start to rethink um, their hands-off strategy to the country's digital sector. So, and then there's a last point here, I think, you know, reminding everyone who brought up, and I heard this a lot on Saturday, who brought up the democratic process and the fact that we all went and voted and the vote already happened two years ago. There's a reminder here that democracy is a beautiful thing, but democracy isn't just about a result. It's a process. Um, not just that end result. So m most people walking on Saturday were walking because they felt cheated, they felt misinformed, they felt lied to. And I think that's an incredible thing that we should be embracing. And quite frankly, I'm really curious to see the, the latest numbers because I think the people organising the march had expected 10,000 people and we've clearly surpassed that. Um, and it says a lot, I think, about a country when half a million people come out on a Saturday um, to march for what they consider to be their future. If you've got no idea what Brexit is um, and you're wondering what the hell I'm talking about and why this is even re relevant, 
I thought I'd give you, or I'd leave you with a little bit of a Brexit recap um, in a couple of bullet points. So there's a referendum that happened, which was, and the referendum is a vote in which people, or nearly, you know, nearly everyone of a voting age can take part in. And it was held on Thursday, the 23rd of June, 2016, so two years ago. And it was to decide whether the UK should leave or remain in the European Union. And the UK wanted to decide if it should leave one. Basically, the UK needed to decide if it was going to leave one of the world's most powerful trading blocks. And we mustn't forget this, the European Union that brings together 28 um, markets really is one of the most powerful trading blocks in the world today. The EU is an economic and political partnership which involves 28 European countries. It began after World War II to foster economic cooperation with the idea that countries which trade together are more likely to avoid going to war with each other. Um, and so what this has also meant is that over the, you know, since World War II, we've been able to enjoy peace and prosperity within the European market. Um, it has since grown to become a single market, allowing goods and people to move around. Um, basically, if you're a citizen of any one of the 28 member states, you can decide to study in any of those countries, you can decide to live or to work in any of those countries. The main reason for leaving um, the European Union was immigration. Um, in in Europe, citizens are allowed to move across borders and live, as I mentioned, and work in any of the European countries. And one way to stop this, to stop um, the flow of immigration, was to just leave the European Union. Um, al also, interestingly, in fun fact here, um, the UK is an island surrounded by water, yet we're still the only country within the European Union that has no idea in any given moment who is on this island, which is absolutely mind-boggling. Put that aside. Um, Ultimately, the debate came down to the fear of immigration versus the e economic risk of leaving. And so, as you can see, there was no real positive reasons for staying rather than the fear of leaving. And I think this is where the pro-EU campaign really fell short, is because you had the Brexit campaign or the Leave campaign that was focused on the fear of immigration. And the pro-European was just focused on the economic risk of leaving. So there's no real positive story to share again. Again, I feel like the media played a huge role in this. We really are paying the price of 45 years of silence on the European Union. Ultimately, when it came to voting day, the results were leave won by 51.9% to 48.1%. The referendum turnout was around 71, um, a little over or a little closer to 72% with more than 30 million people voting, which is a pretty big turnout. England voted for Brexit, so they voted by 53.4% to 46.6%. Um, Wales also voted for Brexit, with Leave getting 52.5% of the vote and Remain getting 47.7%. And Scotland and Northern Ireland both backed staying within the European Union. Um, on the day, the UK voted to leave the European Union. As we all know, that was the decision that was taken. Um, Brexit negotiations officially started, so the negotiations of leaving the EU, so it's a bit like a, uh, getting a divorce. Um, those um, negotiations of this officially started a year after the referendum, so on the 19th of June 2017. Um, and the scheduled departure um, is on Friday the 29th of March 2019, so next year at 11pm. We've even got a time, but we still don't know what it looks like, which is fascinating. And so we're also talking a lot about this idea of transition period, which refers to the time after the 29th of March 2019. And um, between and 
the 31st of December 2020. So this is this transition period to get everything in place and allow for businesses and other people to prepare for the moment when the new post-Brexit rules between the UK uh, and, the UK and the EU begin. So that's more or less the state of play of where we're at today. Um, so yeah, um, Brexit is a pretty big thing. I will talk to you in a couple of later podcasts around you know what Brexit means for the tech um, community. And, and hopefully from now on, um, I'll be voicing a little bit more my opinions because I think more than ever, um, having your own opinions and, and learning from putting those opinions out there and talking with people who disagree with you um, is a lot more interesting and I have far more to learn from it. Have a lovely evening.